Welcome to the Heroes Journey Economy podcast. Today we have Meredith Atwood, who is an author, a speaker, life coach, and author of several books, including Triathlon for the Every Woman, and more recently, her new book, The Year of No Nonsense. She recently had an article in Psychology Today that caught my attention on the nonsense of happiness, and I asked her to be on this podcast. So welcome, Meredith Atwood. Thanks for making the time. I read your article on uh, Psychology Today about uh -huh. happiness is nonsense, and I thought it would make a, a pretty interesting podcast. Uh, what we're starting to see now, putting all buying behind transformation, and what I mean by that is the second largest selling beer out there is Michelob Ultra. You know, if you've ever seen a Michelob Ultra commercial, it's almost like a CrossFit commercial. Right, and right. There's this huge movement out there, uh, and it's beyond self-improvement. It's really, we're, they're starting to see it in travel, where people aren't traveling to go sit by an infinity pool. They want to they want to go someplace and come back different. They want to go to Machu Picchu. They want to go to a, a silent retreat. So everything from the ice cream that they buy to whatever they're doing and how they spend their time is a lot around transformation. And I'm, I'm coining it the hero's journey economy based on the, the Campbell book, uh, Heroes of a Thousand Faces and how he, yeah. my theory is, I think we're going to start to see a lot more activity in that, in that space, which may not play well for McDonald's or Twinkies or <laughs> in this new economy, Meredith, that, the real product is the person. The goal is transformed person. It's not a car. And products and brands are going to really have to take a sidekick or mentor role in this journey rather than what they'd maybe prefer to be is like something that people strive for. And it's not really. Yeah. I thought your article on happiness was pretty interesting on the whole how it's a fake thing. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting that you, I had no idea this is where we were going with it, but I think this is really interesting because I think there's a lot underlying what you just said too. I mean, is that the truth that, that you know, we're moving toward a transformative economy or is it the fact that all the people have already bought all the things, realize that doesn't buy happiness, yeah, and now yeah, they're going to no, try this out. <laughs> you're right. Uh, no, you make a very – one of my big theses is the biggest thing that's going to trigger this is just overwhelming abundance. Yes, uh, yeah. you, when we were being chased by lions, no one could really kind of sit back and say, you know, what do I want to do with my life, right? Right. <laughs> there was no right. navel-gazing, yeah. right. right? We right. weren't it looking. Was, <laughs> right. And the same with maybe even working in a steel factory and so, yeah. you know, in a dangerous sewing factory in New York City that that was when you can get any movie you want while flying on a plane 500 miles an hour and you know some of the things that we have at our disposal weren't even weren't available to kings and queens yeah. 10 years ago and so yeah and you know the whole idea that we're living in an uh, you know there's a lot of books written on it but it's not a bad time to be alive no from, <laughs> you know from being uh you know someone the, the what is it enlightenment now i think was the book but they did an analysis on everything from being hit by lightning to actually getting killed by another person to like this statistically if you look at all the things that could have happened in the past that that were bad. Most of those things can't happen now. You can still get sick and you can still get in an accident. Those are, but it, it's it's a fairly safe and peaceful time. COVID separate from that, maybe. Right. I was so, going to say that that article yeah. or book was before the right. you know the right. Spanish flu of twenty twenty. But... Right. But even, <laughs> but even even that, and and I do believe abundance is going to trigger that. You do see some of the richest people out there that are a thousand times wealthier than you and I aren't a thousand times happier. 
right? Correct. In, in many cases, they're totally bored. And it can get dangerous for those people because they're doing things they have no business maybe doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's so, so many ways to talk about this. I think one of the points you hit on, which is interesting as far as abundance, and you think about like our grandparents and so why they're like my husband's grandparents are, are in their 90s and they just have a different outlook on so many things because of the struggle that they had and because of the lack of access to so many things that we take for granted you can you can just see it in a conversation and it's not you know they're not just yelling at us for being entitled young people because it you know it's not really the case to a full degree but the difference in what their day-to-day access looked like you know if you wanted to call someone if you wanted to go visit someone you didn't just Google it. There was no such thing. You you had to have your map and, you know, the importance of community. I mean, just in, in the time, the, the differences in our generations and how the the evolution from abundance and and wealth and privilege and all of that has evolved is how has that impacted happiness? I mean, that's a topic of, you know, on itself, but they managed to be happy without YouTube. (laughs) You know, someone in their 90s who really saw depression mm-hmm. and then immediately going into World War II, that's, you know, that's something that none of us have ever, we have, you know, as you, I guess COVID is a, the closest cons- comparison, but really doesn't compare with either one of those events, maybe. Right. Know? It really doesn't. <laughs> no, right. It doesn't. So it is amazing that perspective. Uh, I remember my parents, uh, when I was really young, if we got a call from a distant relative, it was usually not to say hi. It was normally a very bad thing coming on the phone. <laughs> a collect call, too. Yeah. Remember those? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Collect. Or if someone was calling, like, all, I live in Connecticut, all my relatives were in Cleveland. We got a call from Cleveland. It was, not, it was normally not good news because phone calls were so right. expensive. You know, they weren't calling, right. to, say, they weren't calling to say hi. Right. And I, and I still have to talk to my mom sometimes. And she goes, well, this phone call must be costing us a lot. I go, no, no, they, they really don't anymore. And she's, they really don't. No. Yeah. And she was always, you know, she was always looking at the clock when she was talking long distance, which, you know, right. that and that really wasn't that long ago because it's still something she thinks about. Sure, yeah. sure. And it was it's so funny to be talking to you because last night, our daughter, who is turning 12 this year, she was asking my husband about his childhood. And she she got all interested in us telling her about, you know, the good old days. I'm 40, by the way. And um, so he was telling her when he was her age, he would take 25 cents and ride the public bus downtown Savannah to ride his skateboard. And then when it got dark, he would take his 25 cents and ride back. And he and his friends would eat French fries all day long. And it was just, she was like, what? You just got on a bus and went somewhere? And he said, yeah, because there was no cell phones that my mom didn't know where I was. And so my daughter's like, well, was Grammy okay with that? And he goes, I don't know. And so we had this whole conversation, but he was coming at it from, those were like the best times in his life. You know, he was like, man, we took the bus and we skateboarded. And she's, she's looking at him and she says, that really does sound amazing, you know, but it was, I, I never thought I would be in the position where I'm telling, you know, my daughter about the good old days, because I heard it from my parents, you know, they were in the seventies and this is what they did. And 
it's interesting when you look back on those times when you remember your happiest, like that was my husband's story. My happiest time was the day I got my driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> I, all I needed was a car, a pack of cigarettes, let's be honest, and a window down and just freedom. You know, yeah. that was happiness. And none yeah. of it was tied to, to a phone or a, a, a nothing. It was, it was, I mean, it was tied to a vehicle, but I guess I would have been just as happy on a bike. Let's be real. Um, but it, none of it was tangible. You know, nothing was tied to the things I had, the clothes I had, none of it. Yeah, it is interesting. I know my kids have asked me, uh, how are things different? And I said, one distinct difference is we were outside a lot more. And yeah. it was just an outside. They had to call us for dinner. And when, it was, when dinner was over, we bolted back outside again. And and I think part of it was our house was an air conditioned, so it was much cooler outside. <laughs> it's just cooler, you know. It was just it was cooler to be outside uh, than it was yeah. to be inside. Our house was very. It seemed like it was my mom was cooking. It was very warm, and it was an outdoor activity. Um, mm. And right until it got dark, right? Um, yeah. So it's a, a little different. Uh, we we seem to grow when we're tested, and tested sometimes right. isn't tested isn't an enjoyable. Sometimes isn't enjoyable. Um, right. right. It's, it's lifting that bar. It's the bicep lifting the barbell. It's, as you know, b biking that extra mile. Uh, right. You know, um, right. That's sometimes where things change, right? When we're pushed to those limits. But yeah. Uh, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, so calling it nonsense, that's kind of my shtick because I have a book yeah, called no, The Year of No Nonsense. And so yeah. happiness is nonsense is kind of, you know, the, the headline grabber. But, you know, I think you, you, hit it correctly when you said, you know, it's the pursuit of happiness. And there's that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, or it's not the, is it The Pursuit of Happiness? With Will Smith? I always get it wrong. I don't know. But um, yeah, I've never it's seen not that The movie, Pursuit of yeah. Oh, yeah, oh you must. You must. Oh, so good. One of my favorites. But yeah. he talks about it. And like it, one of the big quotes in the movie is, you know, I think Thomas Jefferson meant um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think he truly meant the pursuit that we're entitled to, to pursue happiness. And that the goal has been long forgotten that it's the pursuit, the journey, the joy of the change, the growth, the day-to-day, -day, the in and out little chatter and, you know, small moments that we are lost, that we have just dropped because we've become somewhere. And I'm probably like the eighties, the nineties, it became so goal oriented, you know, money, money, money. And, um, get more, have more, that success and, and the, the journey, it was lost. And so I think this transformation is almost like a blowback <laughs> from, yeah. you know, like, oh my God, we're, we got all this stuff now and we're miserable. We are addicted to more things now. We're on more prescription medications. We're more obese. We're more unhealthy. We make more money, yet we're broke. And, and all of that, it's that we're still trying to transform things in a way that maybe is still not quite it. Yeah. <laughs> it's still not quite it, but it's closer. It's closer. But the, one of the things that I think is so damaging and the, you know, marketing is, is on top of it. It's just the idea that you can sell um, happiness. You can sell self-love. You can sell self-care. Self-care is the worst. Oh my gosh. I've, I read, I've read your articles on those. I've read your articles on those. <laughs> I mean, I just can't even with self-care. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't believe in it. I just don't believe in it in the way that it's presented. And I don't believe in the way that it's being sold to me. Yeah. Um, so all of that to say, I think we have, as a, as a culture, as a society, 
have lost the joy of the journey. You know, when you look at the, the grandparents, the great grandparents, there was joy in creating something. There was like, I'm going to go outside and build a house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go, go build a car. I'm going to work on my farm. There was, you know, not to be like, oh, the times of yore, but it's, there is something to creating. There's something to a process and, and YouTube culture. I mean, if you watch a kid on Apple TV these days, it's like click instant, click instant. And they're just like rapid fire. There's no creation. There's no, there's nothing. And you know, that's not their fault. That's our fault. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but that's where we are. And I think, I think we are generating, and I don't know how old you are, but my generation. I'm, 50, like, I'm 56. So I'm older. Okay. So yeah, well, yeah, but we're in the same cohort. Yep, yep. And you know, the, we're, we, we had a taste of it. I don't think it's as bad, but um, the, as, and I don't mean bad, but as much of a struggle as it will be for the younger generation to to have patience <laughs> to see that you you can't get a quick fix and these these transformational retreats and destinations they're just another version of a quick fix when yeah. you really boil it down and nothing is a quick fix nothing <laughs> no you're right I, I think you're right on about the goals might have been scott adams right stilbert i read a, something about him one time and he said you know if you because he writes about other things other than dilbert uh, his, his thing is all about systems goals if you focus on a goal you're living every day in a gap until the day you've reached the goal you're in want the whole time yes yes right so you're separated from what you're wanting forever until it's done and then well what do you do you create a new goal and then so you've only been like satiated for maybe half a day out of a, a very long period of time. And his whole thing is it, it should be systems. You should be. So instead of, instead of having a, uh, like a fitness goal or a weight goal, it's, it's the system of getting up every day and right. exercising should be incremental improvement right. rather than, so I want to do something better today than yesterday, rather than I want to be something a year from now or two years from now. And right. And so like I work with um, like the Handel group is they're my life. I work with them with life coaching and their whole thing is you come up with a dream and then you live each day in support of that dream. And so exactly that, like you create promises and systems to work in conjunction with the dream that you've already like seen yourself in because then you're like manifesting it. And, you know, I am this person, this is the person I'm going to be. And so a person who is this type of athlete and has this type of family does these things and, you know, they wake up early and they don't eat trash <laughs> and, you know, you, you don't do certain things and you're right. It is the systems because then you're not, because when we're just goal oriented, you're right. You hit the goal and you say, oh, that's it. Wow. That was not worth it. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> not right, at all. Right. Like, wanna, not at all. Don't want to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to so. do that again. I mean, I, I had rapid succession of exactly that. I mean, graduated undergrad in three years. Check. Oh, well, that was not that big of a, okay. And got married right away. Hmm. That, all right. <laughs> went to law school and it was just like a series of goal check goal check had a couple kids check and you know i found myself in 2010 drinking two bottles of wine a night with two kids under two and trying to do this attorney gig and thinking you know what is that song how did i get here yeah right <laughs> and i'm like oh what happened i had all the stuff i had the, the paper i had the degrees i had the louis vuitton sitting in my suv driving you know in atlanta traffic and none of it 
made me happy. In fact, it was the complete opposite, complete opposite. Like I know there's no magic bullet, but what do you, is it focusing on systems, focusing on the journey, that type of mentality that instead, because I think, I think you're right about the happiness trap. I, you know, I track consumer spending, but you know, one of the things they have out there is the paradox of choice where you do buy a toothpaste out of 100 toothpaste, you buy one. And chances are you're going to be unhappy with that toothpaste because you will constantly consider the other 99 choices as one that might have been better. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, my, my daughter had a friend and she grew up in Papua New Guinea. And, and I asked her one time, I said, uh, uh, and she was from the United States, her family went there, but she considered Papua New Guinea her home. And I said, what do you miss most about Papua New Guinea? And she said, ice cream. And I said, wow, I didn't know Papua New Guinea was known for ice cream. What's so special? She goes, well, it wasn't that they, had, they specialized in ice cream. It was that ice cream was special there. So oh. they had they had three they had vanilla chocolate and strawberry and it was probably premium ice cream but not nothing special but it was just a treat and she she said coming here I guess her feeling was that they've taken all the fun out of ice cream because it's everywhere it's available all the time and there's a <laughs> there's a million different flavors but there it was it was a treat it wasn't that often she probably wrapped it up with the event and everything but it yeah. was interesting she's like you know because you can get ice cream all she's like yeah. It's, it's not the same here, but I get that. Yeah, I get that a hundred percent. We were at, um, we went on a little beach trip to Maine and they had ice cream on every corner. And I was like, I'm going to need to get ice cream at that corner after I finish this ice cream, <laughs> you know, cause I don't know what that one might, that one might be better. And I need to know. And, you know, I gained like seven pounds on that trip. And, <laughs> but that mentality of we're missing out. Well, what am I missing? What am I missing? I'm missing the mint chocolate chip. I only had the chocolate chip. And then what about the toppings? And Yes, in this culture, you are never going to get to the place. <laughs> You're never going to buy the thing that makes you finally happy. There's always someone who's got more. And yeah, it's just never ending. So, to, you know, how to start, I think, was your question. Like, how do you start to unravel this and, and work on your own personal happiness? And I think it starts with a, a real gut check. And I think you got to dig your head out of the sand and you've got to see the truth. You have to see the truth about your yourself, your habits, like the crap that's making you unhappy, the things that you are doing like on lather, rinse, repeat. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I can cuss on your podcast, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but I call it the shit show autopilot because it's like, wow, what a shit show. Oh, it's and it's on autopilot. So you're just like repeating this daily, daily, daily mess that you have created, you know, that you have manufactured with all of your tools, all your college degrees and money, like you've made this loop that makes you unhappy. And so I think identifying what your role in your unhappiness is, like the things that you choose to do every day, including your job, you know, people blame their jobs all the time and you are actively in control of that. Actively. You can choose any moment to like, bounce out of there. Yeah, you may not make the money you did, but there there are choices every day. And I think when people start to see, oh, I have a choice, then things can change. It's the mentality of, I don't have any choices. There's no choice. I have no choice. Yeah. And especially like the world that you and I live in is a fairly abundant world. If it's safer, like we've talked about earlier, and it's fairly abundant relative to our even previous generations, there's a lot more choices, a lot more choices on ice cream, but a lot more choices <laughs> on other things. Because one of the things I, I've been thinking about is the whole system thing is that I think the systems work because 
if you don't fight this, there's this Uber system out there that that whole rinse and repeat, that's a system to itself. And if you don't come back with something as organized or as regimented mm -hmm. or question all those things, over time, there's been, I guess, a couple things that help people change. Like one was AA, right? It's It's got a pretty good success record. It's not spotless. It's not, but that program, that process or system helps people through that process. Uh, Weight Watchers is also one, but I think what they do is they kind of say, hey, guess what? You're here. And if you want to get someplace else, you're going to have to incrementally do something each day to kind of move away from the person you don't want to be. And, right. And those two programs have been, although they're dated, you know, um, right. and they were invented by people, maybe out people in those worlds. But, you know, pretty much if you look at those, those were developed by layman people, not psychologists or deep, deep uh, medical people in the case of uh, Weight Watchers. At mm -hmm. least it is something that creates a, a mechanized system to second guess who you're hanging out with, how you know <laughs> what what you're eating in front of the TV. You know what I mean? Like they kind of in those programs, they kind of say, "Hey, do all the people you hang out with drink, and uh, when do you normally eat food? Do you normally eat in front <laughs> of the TV? Maybe you right. can, like they kind of challenge some of those habits in a maybe nice or not so nice way, and and uh, and at least it gets people think stepping outside the jar and looking at the label a little. Right. And so like, that's exactly what I try to do with my work and with every part of your life that is your biggest bleeder, every part of whether it's your drinking, your job, your relationship, your weight, whatever, you can take this process of seeing the truth of identifying your beliefs around it and then setting aside the beliefs that are destructive and then creating a plan. And, and so, yeah, those systems and they, when you look at the systems that work, they all work on the same premise. Like, hey, let's start with the truth. I'm overweight. I'm addicted to alcohol and powerless over it. Okay, <laughs> there's some truth there, right? We have yeah. we have seen the truth. And then like, here's the first step. And then you have to own it. And then you have to apologize for it. Right. And then, you know, oh, and then you're not going to drink today. Or here's your points. And so yeah. that can be applied to anything you want to get out of. And and I mean, get out of like, not dodge, but, but change. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's all starts when you look at successful people, programs, whatever, it all starts with getting your head out of the sand and seeing the truth about where you are and where you have dug yourself and whatever hole you've dug yourself into. But you can't avoid the gut check of this is now, boy, this sucks. I really wish I wasn't here right now. However, I am. So where do we go from here? And that's ever, where people get stuck. Yeah. Do you ever get pushback? Because that, what you just said is amazing. Because sometimes I think being a victim of this world, saying I can't change my job, I can't change this, I can't change that. People kind of look at that and go, well, I'm a victim of circumstance and I don't have a power. To, but to say, you know what, all this can change and, and it's, it's in my capability and authority to do that. That becomes a much scarier thing, right? That's, yeah. that's stepping into the, you know, in the whole hero's journey, that's stepping into the, into the fray a little bit more right. where you, do you find people resist that? Because oh, people hate it. Like they hate it. And, and, um, you know, I was talking on a podcast earlier today. I said, you know, I really believe in my heart that the year of no nonsense, my book would have been a New York times bestseller if I had just been a little more like, Hey girl, you want to get rid of some of your nonsense? And I had sugarcoated it like, Hey girl, wash your face. You know, if I had brought it down a couple notches, but 
because the, the, the problem is people don't want to own their part in their own life. They don't want to own their own responsibility, their role, nothing. We don't want to do that because the second you own it, then you, it's in your power to change it. And so as long as we're keeping, you know, we're too busy. Oh, well, that's convenient. Then if you're too busy, you don't have to give a crap about your nutrition. You don't have to give a crap about anything. You're too busy. And, and we constantly let ourselves off the hook over and over and over again. And what I've learned through coaching is that everyone is the same. You know, some people have it to greater degrees, but yes, I get pushed back all the time. And I imagine anyone in the space who's, who's saying the same thing gets pushed back because we don't want, when we, when we believe that our job is the problem, mm-hmm. then we want to be able to say, well, that's the problem, but I have to have it. The end. So you don't have to do anything. You can continue to complain. You can continue to eat crap to soothe yourself. <laughs> it literally perpetuates the life you don't, you say you don't want. Right. And so if you say, I can walk out of this job tomorrow. I mean, I had a moment when I was practicing law where I literally said to myself, wait a minute, these people aren't holding me hostage. I had to say that to myself because it had not occurred to me that I had free will to leave. Because I, I had a mortgage and I had, you know, but, 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 and at some point you have to say, if that's, you know, your fear, then you've got to come up with another plan. Maybe you do need your job. Well, then you start a side hustle, which is what I did. I started a side hustle. I did that for eight years alongside my litigation job. And then at the, you know, four years ago, I said, okay, I can do it. I'm out. And that's how I did it. Um, But to just sit in your pain and to say there is nothing I can do about that is the biggest lie that you're running. Yeah. It is the biggest lie. You can do everything with what you have right now. Everything. Where in your coaching do you see people, once you get that to them saying, okay, this can all be changed and they're on board with that, where do they mess up next? If, if Because you are, you know, like the comparisons to the matrix are probably well overdone, but... The whole idea that your reality that you've painted that like the average person has painted that they're stuck in a job isn't real. Right. And that they can bounce out. And if they, okay, all of a sudden see that this has been like a, a simulation of my own imagination and they could, they could change their life. What's, what's the place that maybe is the next hardest? Cause I, yeah. Well, and I think, I think it's their own belief set. And I think until you understand what set of like core beliefs that you're carrying around, you can't change anything because a belief set is something that doesn't even need to be proved anymore. You've, you've, you've proved it to the point where, and like Handel method talks about, um, you have theories and then you continue to gather evidence to support those theories. And then at some point it just, you don't need the evidence anymore. It's just a belief. And so people come to coaching with a belief, like I've always been overweight. I can't lose weight. I've always been slow. I'll forever be slow. I'm dumb. I'm, you know, it's already a belief. And so what we have to do is start to dismantle that belief system. And that is not easy work. It's not easy work for a coach. It's not easy work for the person, but there has to be a willingness to, again, it comes right back to the truth. And most people come to a coach with blinders on. And so it's my job to like 
lift the blinders and say, okay, can you see this? And they may be like, no, I don't see it. And so we keep looking <laughs> until we see it. And once you, you have them pull out the belief that is driving the stuckness, like they are stuck because of this belief, then things can start to change. But if you, if you have someone who comes to you and they don't, they don't have a willingness to see what is, what their belief set is, there's really not a lot you can do because that you just keep, they're not going to change. If they don't see it, they're not going to change. It's their journey to take. Nothing that a mentor can, can help them. Right. right. Oh, this has been helpful. I know we're, we're up against time, but Meredith, where can people find you out on the internet, social media? Well, you can find me wandering the streets of Massachusetts right now, just trying to get out of the house. No. <laughs> um, so I'm on social media at Swim Bike Mom, and that is Swim Bike Mom and SwimBikeMom.com everywhere. And yeah, I have a podcast also called The Same 24 Hours, meaning that we all have the same 24 hours in our day, and it's how we choose to use them that leads yeah. to our greatest health, happiness, and success. So that's yeah. a great podcast. And it's a great saying, too. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it does start to challenge that it also enhances that you know we're not here forever you know things bad things can happen to you but if these things are self-imposed about a job or different things like that um this is a you know for the most part a one-way trip that uh people there, there is this you know i think in that there's a sense you build a sense of urgency in that phrase so there's, yeah there's, and i like that i like the idea of the sense of urgency but i also like the stoic sort of positioning of death you know that we're all going to die that we're all here for a speck, you know, there's millions before us and there'll be millions after us. And so if you can humble yourself in your place in life and stop being so self-absorbed and realize that it's just a blink and to do the best you can with your time, plus make the most of it. Like that's kind of magical too, because then you're not wasting it, but then you're not rising to this level of self-importance that, um, you know, just makes everyone hate you. <laughs> <laughs> right there's right. that yeah right yeah there's it's it's not that big a deal some of these things we kind of make bigger than they are in the big sure scene, right yeah sure well you know thank you so much for being part of this today i really appreciate it loved your article love your writing and to love your podcast so uh thank really you mike well two things i appreciate you obviously being part of this podcast but the work you're doing out there for people because i think it, in the in the end there's there are a lot of unhappy people out there considering what we said earlier that this is a pretty good time to be alive that doesn't jive with how many unhappy people the depression that people are facing thank you for doing that work gently snapping people out of their out of their uh funks well, and look, like my, and I'll just say this real quick. I, I come off strong, but I come off strong because I have been in the darkest. Like I, I doubt that there's a darker story out there in some parts than the stuff that I've done, lived through and um, overcome. And so I look back on my life, you know, 20 years ago to now. And I think, thank God I'm alive. Thank God I never gave up and I've been there. And so that's where the magic comes with me and my clients is because they'll tell me something. I'm like, girl, I know, <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. I feel it. I felt it. And so I also like to remind people that you can dig out of darkness, that I'm an example of that. And it doesn't mean that it's always gone, but it's like, you're, you're just capable to, to see the light forever. And, and that's how it is. You know, some days are darker than others, but I can always see the light. 
And that's what I hope that people can get out of, of working with me or, or follow me or whatever, is just see that there's always, always a light and, and you're, you're part of that. Meredith Atwood, thank you very much for being part of this today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you.